So we had a great night last night, almost 25, it was somewhere between 20 and 25. Children, students, and adults got baptized. And so if you guys haven't been, yeah, Derek, you were baptized, it was awesome. Um, we'll, we'll show you some highlights. We're still putting that clip together next week or the week after both. Um, but we, we just wanted to take uh, just a little break here from our series in Genesis, we've been following along with Abraham and Sarah, right? <laughs> and so today we're going to just focus on God's heart for the underdog. And the reason we're doing that is um, we want our hearts to continually reflect God's heart, and we want to be on mission with God, and we want our church to continue to look like the church in heaven that the Bible says at the end of the day it's made up of people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And so what we know from the Bible is becoming a church for all people is rooted in creation. We're created, all of us, in the image of God. Psalm 8 says, crowned with glory and honor. What we know from the Bible is becoming a church for all people is made harder because we're sinners. And sin has this powerful dynamic of always pushing us away from God and from each other. Yes. And what we know too from the Bible is God's promise to Abraham when he says, I'm gonna bless you so that all the families would be blessed. Paul says in Galatians 3, that was the gospel that was preached and promised beforehand to and through Abraham. So we know it's at the heart of God's promise. We know it's all through the law. We're gonna spend a lot of time today looking at the law and how the law reflects God's heart, not just what it means to live with God and for God. We know um, from the gospel that Jesus came and the angel said, don't be afraid, shepherds, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for what? All people, for everyone. Christ came for everyone. He died on the cross for everyone. He said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go from Jerusalem and then go to Judea and go to those hated half-bred Samaritans and take it to the utter ends of the world. And we know the church did that. And they sent out that church in Antioch, this multi-ethnic church of Africans and Europeans and Middle Easterners in this place called Antioch where Christians were first called Christians. They sent out Paul and Barnabas to spread the message around the world. And we know that's where history's going. Romans, uh, Revelation 5, Revelation 7. From every nation, tongue, and tribe gathered around the throne. And so this is our vision. We desire, we say it all the time, to be a Christ-centered church for all people where the power of the gospel is continually transforming our lives, renewing our city, and changing the world. And so just this last couple of weeks, uh, four of the staff, we were down in Dallas for a wonderful Mosaics conference. Uh, Mark DeMaz, who heads that up, he was in our church a few years ago. We've read his book, his leaders in the church. We had a leadership retreat for our stewardship board, the, the board, the leadership board of our church. And the, uh, we were gathered around God's word over there in Lake Geneva on this very topic. Our key leaders of the staff have just gotten away on two days of retreat, and we were leaning into this. If you were around last week, we had Get Train, and we had a great class on the biblical theology of becoming a church for all people and a wonderful panel discussion that I wish you all could have heard of. So th this is on our heart. This is 
what we desire to be a Christ-centered church for all people. So today we're just going to catch up with God's heart for the underdog. So if I say underdog, what do you think of? Underdog. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. Were you thinking of that? That's what I was thinking of. Because when I was a kid, I loved on, this. Is, so you get you young guys. All right. The underdog was the shoeshine boy. And he had this girlfriend, Sweet Polly Purebred. And whenever Sweet Polly Purebred got traumatized by one of the villains like Simon Bar Sinister, right, or Riff Raff, or uh, the electric slippery eel, underdog would show up and he'd say, underdog is here. There's no need to fear, right? So we rooted for underdog, and we root for underdogs. That's, that's very American, right? If we were around in 1980 in the Miracle on Ice, right? We've seen the movie, some of us, when our team beat the dominant expected gold medal team from Russia. We love it. We love it. We love it. But it's not just American, and it's not just universal. Uh, it, it is something of God in us. So we have... God's image, it's not, it's not about a physical thing. There's stuff about our nature that has been stamped with God's character. And I'd like to say that the reason we root for underdogs is because that's who our God is. That's part of being created in his image. But there's a big difference between rooting for the underdogs of entertainment, if you will, and the underdogs of everyday life and society. So what we're going to do today is just catch up with God's heart for the underdog. And what we're going to see is that the God of the Bible not only picks underdogs like Abraham and Sarah, big time underdogs, like Israel, the smallest of the nations, like a guy Gideon who's going to be a hero but we find him hiding out in a wine press, or Ruth the Moabitess, she's not even Israelite, and she becomes the grandmother of King David and in the, in the lineage family tree of Jesus. He's picking underdogs, Jesus is when he gathers his 12 disciples, and the church, hello, is a big time underdog that is still God's plan A in this world to bring about his saving purposes. So God chooses, God cheers, the Bible says he's close, close to the broken heart at Psalm 34, verse 18. And so just looking at the law, here's what we found out. That God's heart for the underdog is written into the everyday laws that affected how God's people did life every day. Everyday laws for every day. Now let me just say something about the law. Uh, three things about the law. The law comes at Mount Sinai. And that is the Ten Commandments, all right? You catching up with that story? The Ten Commandments. What's that about? God says, I've taken you out of Egypt. I have saved you for, not just from something, a relationship with me. We have this relationship. You don't keep the law to get the relationship. We have the relationship. But I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And the law is going to help you know what it means to be my people. And the 613 laws of the Old Testament, Jesus said, could be summarized into two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So the law, first of all, reminds us what it, what it means to love God and love my neighbor. The law, secondly... Paul says in Galatians is it keeps mirroring to me and to you that uh, 
I don't keep the law. I'm a lawbreaker. I need Jesus. I need a savior. The third function of the law, we could say, reveals his heart. His heart. And so what we see in the law is God's heart for what Jesus would call the least of these in Matthew 25. Sometimes we call them the marginalized, the vulnerable. We call them the underdogs. The widows, the orphans, the alien or the foreigner, the stranger, the immigrant, refugee, the poor in the New Testament, the prisoner. Those are all part of people who are on the edges, vulnerable, marginalized underdogs. So let me just give you a sample of the everyday laws that was to impact their everyday lives so that their heart mirrored God's heart. It starts with the harvest. And just imagine now in your mind, traveling around Dane County, some of you are gonna travel for Thanksgiving, some of you have traveled here for Thanksgiving. And you see the, the fields that have been harvested and they're pretty neat and they're pretty clean if they've been harvested, right? All the way to the edges. Now here, Leviticus 23, God's everyday law for how they were to take in the grain. When you reap the harvest of your land, this is Leviticus 23, 22, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Same thing in Deuteronomy 24, 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf, remember this wasn't automated, they were just getting this up by hand. If you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. It didn't just have to do with how they gathered in the grain, but how they took in the produce, like the grapes or like the, the fruit from the trees. Leviticus 19.10. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And then every seventh year, there was something that happened. In Exodus 23.11, we read this. But the seventh year, you shall let it rest. Speaking of their fields. Don't plant, don't cultivate, don't throw seed into the ground. Let it rest and lie fallow. That the poor of your people may eat and what they leave the beasts of the fields may eat. In other words, don't plant your fields. There's a whole message on that whole thing. So every, imagine this. Every seventh year, God says, just live off of what I've given you in that sixth year. Don't plant. And anything that comes up, it's not yours. That's my field. You're working my field. You leave it for the poor. And after that, you know, then the animals. That was the seventh year. It had to do with the sacrificial system. So we, we, we catch up with the, the beautiful Christmas story. And Joseph and Mary, they, they couldn't afford to bring a lamb. But, but the law had made provision for the poor. So in Leviticus 12, 8, we read, but if she cannot afford a lamb, this is the woman who's just given birth, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, which is exactly what Luke chapter 2, 24 says Mary brought. One for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. How they gathered, their worship, the sacrifices, how they lent money. Exodus 22, 25. If you lend money to any of my people who are in need, do not charge interest as a money lender would. 
And then every third year, there is the year of the tithe. And it goes like this. Deuteronomy 26, 12. When you finish setting aside a tenth of all your produce, produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. So every year they were supposed to give a tenth, that first fruit offering, but then every third year an additional 10%, and this was to go to the Levites who would distribute from their storehouses to the poor, to the underdogs out of the provision that God had given the rest of the Israelites. And in that seventh year, the debts were canceled. And after seven sevens, they had what was called this year of jubilee, all debts canceled. If any of the family land had been sold off, it all went back to the original family. If anybody had indentured themselves as a servant or as a slave or were a slave, they were freed, the year of jubilee. And God says the result of this would be if you follow my ways, I'm going to bless you in such a way that there won't be any need for anyone to be poor. Listen to this in Deuteronomy 15.4. However, there need not be, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless the poor people. Oh, is that what it said? No, he'll bless you. He says, Israel, I'm going to bless you that out of the abundance of the blessing I've given to you, you can meet the needs of the poor so that there wouldn't be any poor around you. It reminds us of the book of Acts, right? So in the book of Acts, it said people like Barnabas were selling even land that they had and they gave it to the apostles so that they could meet the needs. And it said there wasn't anyone whose need was unmet in the church there in Jerusalem. That's what he said. So there's some principles. And uh, if you're taking notes, the the first thing I would say is this. The the first thing that we learn about the law is it wasn't an occasional thing, caring for the poor. God didn't say, so here's the cool thing. I had a real big heart for the poor. And so once every seven years, this is what we're going to do, guys. No, it it was an everyday thing. Everyday laws to impact the way they lived every day. And so this ought to be a regular part of our lives. And it's not good enough to say, well, look, I pay my taxes. And that takes care of the poor. That's not the disposition that God has and that he's calling his people to have. So it's a regular part of my life, not an occasional part. It's regular There's a second thing. If that's to be the case, then I have to have, we have to have, the people back then had to have a complete reorientation of how they saw the things that we could easily call our own, mine, their land, their possession, their harvest, their monies. A complete reorientation to the things that we typically could say, that's mine. I've worked really hard hard for this the bible tells us we're stewards god's the owner psalm 24 verse 1 the earth is the lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it that means we're just managers anything we have we can't i mean we can but it's not true it's we can say it's mine and do this but it's really not mine it's not mine 
It's God's. So I have to have a reorientation. Because what happens is, if I go, that's my field. Man, I worked hard. I planted it. I cultivated it. I weeded it. and worked hard to bring it in. That's my grain. If, if, if that's my attitude, I am not leaving the edges. I'm going back for what we dropped. I'm going to pick over those those grapevines again. I'm not going to leave the windfall apples. I'm going to go pick those up, and we're going to have some great applesauce this fall because that's mine. Those are my apples. That's my grain. That's my field. So we got to have a complete reorientation, a constant reorientation. That's one of the powerful things about regular giving back to the Lord. It's a reminder. God, everything I have is from you. This portion represents my whole life I have is, is given back to you, and it's not mine. It's not mine. I know that Christians around the world who have far less than us get this far better than us. That's a really interesting thing. So uh, last night, Pastor Matthew, a good friend of mine, uh, pastors a church, Evangelical Free Church of Monrovia, Liberia. We used to have a formal partnership, but we still love Matthew and his church, and we're partnering with Vision Trust now in Liberia. But Pastor Matthew, Lori, I, and some friends, we were sharing dinner. And I was just catching up. I was catching up. Matthew was talking about his family, and I know he's got these wonderful, beautiful children. I've met them, and I was asking about his kids, and I said, but you've, you've kind of taken in some other kids too, right? He says, yeah, we still, we still have the two girls. And I said, so have you formally adopted them? No. I said, um, does their family kind of help you help these girls? No. And then he went on to say, and we've, we've taken in another, another child that's part of our family. And, and these guys, they don't have, they don't have anything. This is, Matthew's family eats... I'm not making this up. One meal of rice a day. That's it. If anybody has a past to say, look, we just can't do it, it's Pastor Matthew. When Craig Heilman and I visited several years ago, I remember before we left, we went down to the market in Monrovia and we bought 250 kilos of rice. I mean, they were huge bags of rice. And, you know, if you make rice, you don't need a lot of rice. What do you need, a cup or two to, you know, get a good pot of rice? So I'm thinking, we just took care of Matthew's family, like, for a year. So I said, kind of, I was, there was probably this sense of satisfaction when I, when I asked him the question, so how long is this going to last you, Pastor Matthew? And he said, well, probably about a month. <laughs> what? I know you only eat rice. And there's a lot of rice, and you only eat it once a day. This is, what do you mean a month? We said, well, people are, from the church are always coming to our house. And we just, we just give to them. Christians around the world that have so much less than us are so much ahead of us in this. I, I remember being in Quito with our friends, Chuck and Anita Howard, and I'm, I'm, I'm going down early to scout this trip where we're going to bring our high school students, and I'm at their dinner table. There's a knock on the door, and it's pitch dark outside, and Anita goes to the door, and there's this poor family huddled around, and they're asking Anita for some food. Well, she was ready. 
So she, she had this bag, and she gave him this food, and she was so kind and how she treated them with great dignity. And then she came back to the table, and I saw this repeated when I was down there a couple of times. And then when the team came back and Lori and I were sharing dinner at their table, the same thing happened. And the woman at the door was the same woman at the table, if you know what I mean. She didn't come back going, man, what is it with these people? Why do they keep looking? I mean, there was none of that. She just loved being able to serve. And Chuck and Anita didn't have a lot. They're giving, they're giving. And so if this is going to happen, this everyday stuff, to be our heart being like God's heart, we have to have a complete reorientation of what is mine. And I don't know about you, but man, I love that Sharpie thing. That, that you know, that permanent ink and just... They're going to write it on stuff, you know, so I know that's mine because my kids take my things sometimes, so that's mine. You know, I remember as a kid growing up, I put my, my Sharpie on my basketball. That's Mark's MM. That's mine. And that's just so, that's a mindset. And we just, we got to keep saying, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. It's all yours. It's all yours. How do I use it for your honor, for the good of others? There's, there's a gleaning principle here where they intentionally set aside what was theirs for the good of someone else. They went into the harvest knowing I'm leaving the edges. And I think that's a powerful principle. Some of us do that as we direct our giving to benevolence. It's a great way to do it. About $100,000 is going to go out this year to help people in need. Lori and I, that's part of our online giving. We want to give to benevolence. But I want us to have the opportunity to come around people who have names and faces and stories and fears and hopes and dreams to be in a position to go, we could do something about your need because we've got a line in the budget. We've got room in our schedule. We've got these resources and gifts that God has given us. And we would, we're looking for opportunities to do that. It was intentional. But it wasn't just in the law where we see God's heart. It was in the verbs where we were really challenged. The verbs that would teach God's people what not to do and what to do. When it came to the verbs not to do, we kind of feel good about ourselves. This is what we're not to do to the underdogs. We're not to show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the rich. Leviticus 19.15. We're not to deny or pervert justice. Same verse. We're not to be hard-hearted or tight-fisted to the poor. Now we're starting to squirm. We're not to take advantage of them. I feel good. We're not to mistreat or oppress them. I feel good. Proverbs 28, 27 says, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them may receive many curses. And I'm going, oh, I don't know. Do I close my eyes? Well, if I'm not giving to the poor, I'm closing my eyes, according to Proverbs 28. So we're feeling pretty good. We're feeling like maybe we're doing B work on what we shouldn't do. And then we get to the positive. Boy, that's a whole nother ball game. So here are the positive verbs that ought to mark God's people who are like their father, the children who are like their dad. Deuteronomy 10, 18, he defends, circle defends, the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien. That's the stranger, the immigrant, the refugee, giving him food and clothing, right? Sometimes I wonder if we're better at explaining why people are poor and in need than we are defending them and reaching out to them. 
Psalm 82, some more verbs. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And so we go, so who have I defended? Whose rights have I maintained? Who have I rescued? From who? From what? Whom, I, whom I, have I delivered? In the wisdom literature, just take the book of Proverbs, the verbs. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. I saw that with Anita. The righteous care about justice for the poor. Matthew was always demonstrating that. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Proverbs 31, 20. And this is how Jesus, this is how Jesus lived. He cared about the vulnerable. The people that people hated, whether it was the rich tax collector or the Samaritan. He, he cared about the untouchables, like the lepers. He cared about little kids. He cared about everybody. There wasn't anybody that Jesus met that his heart was closed off. The, the only thing we get close to were the self-righteous religious people that were so misrepresenting the Father that he ends up calling them, you're whitewashed tombs. You have nothing of God in you. And ultimately, his death on the cross, right? This, this is what Jesus, how he lived and how he died. This is at the heart of his command to go make disciples of all the nations. This is what the church is doing as women like, godly women like Dorcas or Tabitha, she's called, was always doing good and helping the poor. This is what Jesus' brother, James, said is pure and undefiled religion, that we would look after orphans and widows in their distress. And so Jesus may have fulfilled the law, but God's heart for the poor has never changed. And it's to be on our hearts. So then you start catching up with the needs in the world today. And it's overwhelming. So in 2011, Pew Research said 71%, which is now somewhere close to 5 billion people, live on less than $10 a day. Well, back in 2011, a billion people were living on less than a dollar a day. And today, it's somewhere just around 3 billion people are living on less than $3 a day. I mean, just do the math. That's just a little over $1,000 a day if it's three bucks. So, you know, we're, we always go, well, I'm not rich compared to, and when we compare, where are we always going? Are we going up or down that economic ladder? We're always going up north, right? And this is like a, this is a good like, this is a half of the world's population, over half, living on $10 a day. It's, it's good to catch up with in our own city here in Madison. 25% of people are living below the poverty line. So the poverty line, that's like, what does that mean? So I don't have the exact number, but it's somewhere between twenty-two and twenty-four thousand dollars a year for a family of four. So just think about how's that going to work. Twenty-four thousand for a family of four. Twenty-five percent of our city living below poverty. Let me give you some other statistics. You got two hundred fifty-nine million widows in the world. Thirteen point six 
million in the United States, half of those living below the poverty rate. We've got another 13.6 million single parents, most mothers. We have 45 legal, 45 million legal immigrants in our country. A lot of them who, who, who's, whose experience every day is not like ours. It's not like ours. I was catching up with a friend at that panel on Thursday night. This wonderful woman, highly educated, two degrees back in her country, and she comes here, and she's got an education degree, and she's got a psychology degree, and she wants to be a teacher's aide, and for 12 years she's applying and can't get a job because she's got an accent. It's, it's real, 45 million, three and a half million homeless, a third children in the United States, a half a million, 23% are children, 23%. There's 56.7 million Americans who are every day dealing with a disability and now think of their families. And this is big. Big. 2.2 million prisoners in America, 23,000 in our state. We are the most incarcerated, you know, industrialized nation in the world. And Wisconsin leads, I think, the whole country per capita, at least especially for blacks. So there's huge opportunities, huge needs. And just to encourage you that you're part of a church that is trying to live this out. Man, we're just like on the bottom floor trying to, trying to live this out as a church and spurring each other on, as the scriptures say, to love and good deeds. So in our church this last year, $35,000 was given for these opportunity grants this last Advent. Remember we did that? So these opportunity grants for nonprofits working with the kids that are just way behind educationally. 25000 remember last spring break, of food was donated to help these kids who a lot of these families are actually, they're, they're relying on the free and reduced lunch and that breakfast to feed their kids. This church, you gave to that. Over 105000 to our partners. So we're partnering with great ministries in Honduras and paying for some teacher salaries that are building in this Christian school. We're helping out in Liberia through Vision Trust feeding and educating these kids and health needs in Mozambique through World Relief. We're helping with agriculture. These people could farm. We're helping plant churches. Huge. We, we've given $30,000 through our Rooted Compassion Projects to these guys. I didn't say anything about our national partners in New Orleans and at Pine Ridge in South Dakota, the Indian Reservation. We gave just on the serve day over 700 hours of community service and hosted the Northside Block Party. We've adopted 27 teachers. That is 27 life groups that have adopted 27 teachers, 270 people doing that. We got 275 people volunteering in our partner schools. We got big brothers and big sisters. We've hosted a Kingdom Justice Conference for the second time, this summit that's brought 30 different churches together to talk about what does that look like? What can we do together right here? to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God together, doing good and giving God the glory. 
Matt Desmond, one of our former members, board members, came in and talked about eviction, his book and his research and the connection between poverty and housing and what we could do about it. And we don't want to just talk it. I don't know if you guys know this, but when the Race to Equity report came out, I think it's three years ago now, what happened was Madison was stunned because we talk a good game. We say the right things, but we're not backing it up. And it's not just Madison. The people of God were doing this in Isaiah's day. And God said, enough of all your religious banter and talk. Here's the kind of worship I want. And he drives them back to caring for the least of these. So the James, John puts it this way. And this is like, ooh, this, is, this hits us right between the eyes. 1 John 3.17. If anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need and refuses to help, how can God's love be in that person? And here it is. Dear children, let us stop just saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. So we don't, we don't want to just say we love all people. We're a church for all people. Our hearts are open. Our doors are open. We don't want to just talk that. We, we want to live that. And by God's grace, we're growing. We're growing. And there's always going to be tension, and we embrace that tension. We don't do this to gain God's favor. We have God's favor, and his favor was a free gift. And he's blessed us, like Abraham, to be a blessing. So maybe this week, as we are thankful for all that God has given us, we go back to the budget. We go back to the schedule and go, all right, where, what, what can I intentionally place in my budget? Margin, resources, money, time, gifts, whatever it is to help someone in need. Who is it? Who's the underdog? Who are the underdogs that God has placed in my life that I might serve? And then by the grace of God, we're going to get involved. So here's a couple practical things. We got a trip going to New Orleans to help out with Pastor John and Wendy and Urban Impact, what they've been doing down there in the heart of New Orleans, and especially since Katrina, and they're still rebuilding from Katrina. We got a team going in January. We need some more people to go down. Maybe you can help with that. We need uh, six more teachers to be adopted. They're in the queue. Maybe your life group. Maybe your family. You go, we'll do it as a family. We've got kids that can be sponsored in, in Liberia through Vision Trust. And in the weeks to come, we'll give you an opportunity to say, I'm, I'm going to sponsor one of these kids. We're going to do this as a couple. We're going to do this as a group of roommates. We're going to do this as a family. We've got an opportunity to donate and volunteer at our three Christmas stores. That's a new wrinkle, and we're excited about that, to be a big brother or a big sister. So we really do want to be a Christ-centered church for all people. And I hope that warms your heart. I hope that excites you. This is a life work. This isn't a 2017 or 16 work. This is our life work, to reflect God's heart, to have more of God's heart, and to see this church more and more Reflect the church in heaven. Let's pray. Amen. Father God, thank you so much for pursuing us. Grace, your grace reminds us that we don't deserve your favor. We deserve your condemnation and judgment and you just turning your back on us. But you didn't. You sent your son and Jesus 
you turned your back on heaven and all that was beautiful in that place to take on our flesh, to live in this world, to be poor, to suffer, that we would be made rich by your death and your grace. And may we continue to live lives that are fully trusting on you for all our daily needs, that we would live lives that understand we are rich and have so much. And you've asked us to join you in blessing all the families of the world. So loosen our grip, open our hearts, that our hearts would beat as your heart beats for the underdogs in this world. Until you come or call us home, may we make you look beautiful and great, and may we do great good in this world. In Christ's name, amen.